Pastor Craig in Oklahoma, but it's also something that our mothers have been telling us for years and years and years. Sometimes we listen to them, sometimes we don't. Our mothers have told us that we are one friend away from great things, or we could be one friend away from disaster. It has been said, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. And the Bible puts it this way in Proverbs chapter 13, verse 20. The Bible says, walk with the wise and become wise. Associate with fools and get into trouble. And we have certainly done the latter, have we not? In both sides, both theaters, we have done that, haven't we? And when we look back at our lives, we can see some successes we've had. And there's a good chance that with those successes, there was somebody in our life who was encouraging us and who was uh, really kind of pushing us to do some good things. But some of the disasters that we have, if not all of the disasters we have experienced because of decisions we've made, we have had a friend who was a big part of that, right? That's kind of the living proof that that verse is really true. Perhaps when it comes to friends, maybe you're a little phone shy and you don't answer your phone. You just simply will text. Maybe you find yourself with 1,700 Facebook friends, but you'll be in the middle of the night, maybe checking Facebook and feeling utterly alone. Because maybe we don't have any close friends. We're told that there's three types of poverty. That we have a poverty that we are familiar with, financial poverty, where we just have a lack of resources, a lack of funds, material poverty. There's a second type, a spiritual poverty, where we just kind of find ourselves spiritually dry. You know, wanting, but maybe just not knowing how to get there. There's a third type, and that's kind of where we're landing today. It's a relational poverty. And we know something is wrong, something's not right, something is missing. And this morning we're going to suggest that maybe someone is missing. Again, you might be one friend away from changing the course of your destiny. Last week we reminded you that the average American only has two friends. That's what studies show. Well... Let me ask you this question. This applies to all of us. doesn't matter if we're uh, deep into our career and life or whether we're just starting. Here's the question, a little series. What do you want to do? Even if you're deep into your career, still, what do you want to do? And what do you want to become? You're not finished yet. You're not through. What do you want to accomplish? If you're still breathing, and the odds are, Chances are that you are this morning still breathing. Then that means God, God's not done with you. He's not finished with you. So what do you want to accomplish? What do you want to achieve? Your friends that you have are going to propel you toward that end. Or your friends are going to distract you. In my opinion, the Christ follower, 
that I, I would like to be like, that I would like to emulate. I never will, but I would like to. His name is Paul. His first name was Saul, and God changed it later to Paul. But Saul, he hated Christians. He hated them. That's not the part I want to emulate. <laughs> In fact, he wanted to kill them, and that's what he was all about doing, going out and trying to kill Christians, wanted to wipe them off the face of the earth. That was, that was his goal. That's not the part I want to do. You see, God got a hold of his life, got a hold of him, and began to change him. He became a God follower, a Christ follower, and radically changed him. The problem was that nobody believed in the beginning that he really had become a Christ follower. They thought that he was just trying to sneak in to the church, pretending to be a follower so that he could have everybody arrested and killed. I mean, that would be a good strategy if that's what he were trying to do. But he knew as a new follower of Jesus, as a follower of his, he needed something more. Listen to how this kind of plays out in Acts chapter 9, starting with verse 26. When Saul arrived in Jerusalem, now he arrived as now a new Christ follower. He tried to meet with the believers he had this thing inside of him that said, you know what, I, I need to get with other believers. I need to be around other believers. But it says, but they were all afraid of him, and rightly so. I mean, they did not believe that he had truly become a believer. Now listen to the next verse, verse 27. Then Barnabas brought him to the apostles. To the apostles. <laughs> I don't know who the apostles are. Uh, I think it's a movie. I'm not sure. A cartoon, maybe the Apostles. But um, and they told him how Saul had seen the Lord on his way to Damascus, and how the Lord had spoken to him, and also told them that Saul had preached boldly in the name of Jesus in Damascus. So they, they Barnabas was saying, "Listen, you, you can trust him. Something really has happened here. He's really a follower of Jesus." And then in verse 28, it says, "So Saul stayed." with the apostles. He stayed with them. He finally found the people he could hang out with, the friends who were going to help him become what he needed to become, what God had planned for him to become. And it says, and they all went around Jerusalem. He went around with them, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. He found his circle of friends to help him accomplish what God had planned for him long ago. Paul knew. Paul knew that he needed some folks to be around him, to be with him, to be face to face with him. So he stayed with them. He did not venture off by himself. He didn't take off and say, you know what, I've got this now. I can do my Christian thing out in the woods by myself. I don't need, I can just be among God's creation. I don't need all of you. I'm going to take off here by myself. I, I hear that frequently. I hear that frequently from folks who say, listen, I don't need the organized, I'm just, I'm not, I don't like the organized religion church thing. I don't like it. I'm just, I can be as good of a follower of Jesus out here by myself doing my own thing than I can with the church. And sadly, the Bible written by God disagrees with you. He says, no, you cannot. You can worship me and you can love me. 
but you cannot fulfill what I have asked you to do out there by yourself. Even Paul, who became the most, in my opinion, amazing follower of Jesus, even Paul realized, I must be with other believers. Face-to-face. Last week we even said you need to be present in your friendships. That real friendships develop face-to-face and not thumb-to-thumb. Be present emotionally and physically there. Be present. Now last week we talked about Uh, the life of David and kind of used uh, a snapshot of his life as a springboard into our topic. And we're going to do that again today. But in fact, today we're going to take three little snapshots of the life of David and we're going to find out how God strategically used relationships in his life. Three snapshots. Every person needs these three types of people in their life. Now, David was by no means a perfect man. In fact, if you know anything about David, we're going to talk a little bit about it today, but he, he had one major, huge, enormous mistake that all the world pretty much knows about. He has hundreds and hundreds of successes that don't get mentioned, but one very significant mistake that gets brought up over and over and over again, and we're going to do the same thing. We're going to bring it up today. But one thing that happened consistently in David's life, he had the right people around him. And it was significant. So let me give you a little bit of history here. God had rejected this man named Saul, not the one we just talked about, but the first Saul in the Old Testament, who was the first king of Israel. And he blew it. He blew it. And God said, listen, Saul, your kingship is going to end with you. I'm not going to pass it on to your children. It's going to end with you. I'm going to anoint someone else as king. So this is the scenario. And so God says, Samuel, who was a prophet, he says, I want you to go to the house of Jesse and one of his sons, I want you to anoint because he will one day be the new king. And so Samuel takes off and he he gets his oil, heads off to Jesse's house and Uh, You know, in this society, the the oldest children always got all the goods. You know, they got all the favor. They got all the blessings, everything. So obviously, Samuel's like, it's got to be the oldest son. So he's like, Jesse, introduce me to your son, your oldest son. Who is it? I have a feeling God's going to do something here. So he introduced, and sure enough, he looked like a leader. He sounded like a leader. And Samuel was like, oh, it's got to be him. And God said, no, it's not going to be this guy. Not going to be this guy. So Samuel was like, um, oh, sorry, Jesse, not him. Who's your next son? Brings his next son in, same thing. God says, no, not him. Son after son after son, God says, no, 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 no. A handful of times, like six times or so, he says, no, not this son. And Samuel's getting worried. He sees no more sons. He's like, uh... Jesse, do you have any more sons out there that you're not aware of? There's got to be somebody. And he was like, yeah, I do have another son, but, I mean, it's the runt, (laughs) the youngest. I mean, 
He's the shepherd. He watches our sheep. And Samuel said, call him in. We're not going to rest till he gets here. We're not going to sit down until he gets here. Go get him quickly, as fast as you can. And they all stand around and they just wait. And sure enough, it was the youngest, the runt of Jesse's litter. No one expected anything from this kid. He was just the shepherd. So here's what happens in 1 Samuel chapter 16. The Bible tells us that Jesse sent for him. He says he, he had dark hair. He was handsome. It said he had beautiful eyes. And then it says, and the Lord said, this is the one. Anoint him. So David stood there, verse 13, stood there among his brothers, and Samuel took the flask of olive oil that he had brought and anointed David with the oil. And it says, and the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David from that day on. The one kid in the family that no one had expectations for. In fact, he was just the shepherd. No expectations, no blessing to come his way in the family because he was the youngest. In our society, it's kind of the opposite, right? The baby of the family gets all the goods, right? But not in this society. It was the firstborn all the way. But in this situation, it went to the baby. The one that nobody expected. The kid. Nobody saw it coming. Not even Samuel until God told him. And God put this on one man's heart. No one in his family, just Samuel. And God told Samuel, David is the one. And Samuel was the only one speaking up for David. And he looked at David and said, God has chosen you, David. God has his hand on you, David. Do you know what Samuel in that moment became to David? He became that friend who makes you better. That friend who makes you better than you are, who brings out in you a greatness that is inside, that others can't see, but they see. Our bottom line this morning says this, the right friends make you better spiritually. So let's think about our friends for a moment. Your buddies from the office or from the farm? The guys at your hunting club? Moms, the, the girlfriends that, that you hang out with? Students, your friends at school? The people you're talking with online? These people that we're hanging out with, that we're around, here's the question. Do they make you better spiritually? Being around them, do they draw you closer to God? Being around them, do they help you have a better marriage? Being close to them, do they help you become a better parent? Do they make you better with your integrity at work? 
Do they help you become more financially responsible? In other words, are they making you better as a whole person spiritually? Listen to what the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 27. As iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. As iron sharpens iron, that person that you are around has the potential to make you better or to make you spiritually dull. They have that power. So snapshot number one of David, him as a kid and a man looking at him and saying, God has greatness for you. We all need that friend in our lives that will look at us when no one else sees anything, when everyone else is counting us out because of our past, because of our habits, because of our hurts and our hangups. We need the friend who looks at us and says, I see something special that God can do in you. Snapshot number two. David's a little bit older now, a little bit older, and he's been anointed as the next king, but he is not yet the next king. Saul is still the king. He's just anointed as the next king. David, as a young man, an older teenager, becomes a hero with the military, I mean, David's the one, if you've heard the story of David and the, the giant, David's the one as a teenager who went up by himself as a champion for Israel and killed the champion of the Philistines who happened to be about nine feet tall, a giant of a man. And David killed him. I mean, the military and the city, I mean, they were in an uproar about David and what he could do. Don't forget, it said the Spirit of the Lord was upon David from that day forward, and God can take ordinary people and do amazing things, and that's what was happening here. And so the people in the town, especially the ladies, you know what happens. They, you know, they started singing. They made up a song, a rap. And they were saying, Saul has slain his thousands. Yay. But David, his tens of thousands. Saul heard this, and Saul was mad, angry. He began to hate David, and he wanted David killed. He wanted him dead. And if the king wanted someone dead, there's a good chance they're going to end up dead. David knew this, and he spent years running and hiding from Saul to stay alive. Because Saul and the entire army were trying to kill David. So he, he, he could find himself easily discouraged, couldn't you, when the whole nation is trying to kill you, right? That would be discouraging. I mean, I, I get one angry email from somebody, and I'm like, oh my gosh. David's trying to be killed by the whole army. He got discouraged. He got down. But listen to what happened. First Samuel. This was a good friend here. The friend we talked about last week was Jonathan, the son of King Saul. Jonathan was the next to be king, 
but not anymore. God said, nope, it's going to be David. And they remained friends, even though it was being taken from Jonathan. 1 Samuel 23, verse 15. One day, okay, so David's hanging out, all right? He's hanging out. He gets the news. This is what verse 15 is saying. Gets the news that Saul is on his way to wipe him out, on his way to kill him. He's searching for him, and he's going to go after him and kill him. Listen to what happens in verse 16. Jonathan, this is King Saul's son, went to find David and encouraged him to stay strong in his faith in God. Even those people that have greatness in their future, like David, they are just like us, you and me, normal people who get discouraged, who get depressed, who get sad, who get afraid, who get frightened. And David was afraid, frightened, depressed, discouraged. And Jonathan came to his rescue. When, when David was down, Jonathan came beside him to lift him up. As David is feeling alone in this whole thing, Jonathan comes to his side to be his friend and to comfort him. To encourage him. And here specifically it said, Jonathan encouraged him to stay strong in his faith in God. Do you have that person in your life? Do you have the person who will come beside you and encourage you to be strong in your faith towards God? If not, you are one friend away, perhaps, from having your destiny changed if you will find that person who will be that for you. Someone who makes you better. Someone who makes you stronger spiritually. The right friends make you better spiritually. And that's what Jonathan did for David. Snapshot number three. Now David is king. A strong, mighty leader. But for some reason, he sends his army off to battle and David stays behind. That was very unlike David. That's not what the king did but for some reason, that's what he did this time. David's no dummy. He knows what's around him. He knows about his palace. He knows what's around his palace. And he just so happened to be taking a stroll on his rooftop just about bath time. And there his neighbor, she comes out for her bath. And her name just happens to be Bathsheba. <laughs> Queen of the bath, I don't know. But 
David was no dummy. He knew it was bath time. And David hangs around to watch from his rooftop. That's where we get the term peeping David. What, you don't use that term? So, to make a, a long story short, Bathsheba gets pregnant. I made it super short, didn't I? I just skipped all the good stuff. She's pregnant. David's in trouble because it's his. And it's worse because she's married. And it's worse because she's married to someone in David's military. And it's worse because he's an officer in David's military. And it's worse because he's a trusted, really good man of integrity officer in David's military. And David has blown it. And he knows it. But he thinks, listen, I, I, okay, yes, I've made a mistake. I can take care of this. I can cover it up. And so David, as the king who has the power over life and death of those that he rules, he arranged for this guy to get killed. So really, it may have looked like an accident to the outside, but really they knew this guy had been murdered by David's plan. Obviously, God was not happy. God was upset about this. And so God tells the prophet, the current acting prophet, Nathan. He says, Nathan, I need you to go pay a visit to King David, and I want you to tell him this. So here's what happened. Nathan shows up, says, I need to talk to the king. They let him in. He talks to the king. He says, King David, you need to know about something happening here. Within your kingdom, there's a poor man. He had one single lamb, one sheep. He was poor. And this sheep, so he was no shepherd. This sheep really was part of his family. His kids played with it. That sheep ate with the family. It was part of the family. He even says the sheep ate off of the poor man's plate. He was part of the family. His neighbor was a very wealthy man. Thousands of sheep. And the neighbor had a very important guest come by. And as custom, they would prepare a meal for the guest. But instead of going to get one of his thousands of sheep, he goes to the poor man and strong arms him and takes his one single sheep away, his one lamb, and he kills that and serves it to his guest. And David hears that and he says, that is wrong. That man needs to die. That man needs to give the poor man four sheep because he took his one. He needs to repay him for. And then 2 Samuel verse 12, uh, chapter 12, verse 7, I mean, Then Nathan said to David, You are that man. Nathan was the friend in David's life who was willing to tell him 
the truth. He was like, David, go ahead and jump. If you want to do something that stupid, go ahead and do it. You're going to end up in the hospital, but go ahead and do it. I'm just telling you, you're going to going to ruin something here, but go ahead. If that's what you're going to do, go ahead. The right friends make us better spiritually. We all need the friend who will tell us the truth. Again, listen to how Proverbs words this very same concept in Proverbs 27 verse 5. An open rebuke is better than hidden love. Verse 6, wounds from a sincere friend are better than many kisses from an enemy. In other words, the right friends are going to make you better spiritually. They are going to tell you the truth. So many times we find ourselves in relational poverty. What I'm getting ready to say, I need you to listen with a heart, not of judgment, just simply a heart that says, I'm going to look at my surroundings. I'm not asking you to judge somebody and their worth. That is not what we're doing. We plainly tell you that we are the perfect place for imperfect people, every one of us in this room. For this moment, I want you to think about this concept that we're talking about, that the right friends make you better spiritually. And I want you to think just a moment with me, the people who are closest to you in your life, the people you are listening to, the people you are asking advice from when your life is hurting and you're listening to them. The people you are spending most of your time with. Just analyze this scenario. We're not making a judgment. We're taking a biblical truth and saying, how does my life look compared to this truth? Most of us find ourselves in relational poverty. If your current closest of friends, the people you hang out with, that you spend time with, if they have an active, ongoing addiction, you may be in trouble in your future. If the person you hang out with and listen to and spend the most time with has some kind of emotional attachment to the opposite sex outside of their own marriage, your life might be headed for disaster. If the person who has your ear and you're listening to them and spending a lot of time with them, if they are always on the verge of being arrested, your life could be headed for some kind of relational tragedy. If we see friends who continue to repeat 
the same devastating mistakes over and over and over again, then we should be cautious because we too may be headed for a similar disaster. But the opposite of that is also true because I am saying this, according to God's word, you can also be one friendship away from a better marriage in your life. You can be one friendship away from overcoming an addiction. You can be one friendship away from leaving and walking away from depression. You can become one friendship away from you just physically getting more healthy, from you becoming a stronger leader, a better leader, a better mother, a better father, a better aunt, a better uncle. One friendship away. If you will just simply look for that friend that will make you better spiritually. This morning we just have one simple next step. We're just asking you this. The letter A on the back of your connection card, say, it, it, here's what it means. If you circle it, it's, you're saying this. I, I want to begin to find someone like that in my life. And I'll, I'll, I'll sign up for a small group. Let me tell you, one of, one of the big reasons, it's not the only, but it's a very important reason we do small groups, and we ask you to always be in a small group when we have small groups. Every time we do groups, sign up for a group. Here's why. One of the reasons is we desire you over the course of time to identify as you get involved into groups, one group after the next, after the next, to identify one and then someday two and then, and then three and then four and maybe five or six people that you just spiritually click with and they can become that person in your life that makes you better spiritually. Over the course of decades, we want to help begin that process of you finding those people. And we use small groups to help us to do that. That's one of the reasons they're so important. It's not the only, but it's an important reason. And, and while you can't sign up today because we're not ready to sign up yet for the next groups, but you can say this, when they come I, I'm going to sign up. And this may be a hard step. It's simple, but it may be a difficult step for you. If you've never been in a small group, you're saying, I, I, I just don't know. I, I don't know if I can trust these things. I don't want to be singled out. I, I know it's a big step of faith for you to say, okay, I'll begin this process of small groups. But we so desire for you to have that person in your life and to begin the process of locating them and finding them. Someone who can make you better spiritually. But here's the last thing. Before you can really find that person to be that person in your life. And for some of you, you need to be that person in other people's lives. But before you can do that or before they can do that for you, the first thing is you really have to be connected to Jesus. You, and to be connected to Jesus, here's how we explain that. We have all missed God's standard. He said, I want you to be holy like I'm holy. And guess what? Harley, I'm not. I've missed it. And so have you. 
we've missed God's standard by the things we've chosen to do and the things we've chosen to say and the things even we've chosen to think about, we've missed God's standard. We don't have to argue that point. Most of us would agree, yeah, that's me. But God had a plan for that. That's why he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for us because he knew we were going to miss his standard. Even before we were born, he knew it was going to happen. He sent Jesus to die on the cross to pay the price so that we could connect with God forever. And God did not stay on the cross. Jesus didn't stay there. They put him in a tomb. And Jesus did not stay in the tomb. Three days later, as he predicted, he came and walked out of that tomb alive. Showed himself to hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people. Had meals with them. Had conversations with them. And a lot of those are recorded in our New Testament. And we can read about them there. Do you believe that he died for you? Here's what I'm asking. You can, you can if you believe that Jesus died for you, and three days later he rose again. You may not understand it. You may not understand how he could do it. But do you believe that he did it? That what God's word says is true? That he really loved you so much that that's what he did for you? Died a horrible death. And then walked out of the tomb alive three days later. If you believe that. And if you can say in your heart that because he died and paid the price for me. The price I should have paid, he paid. Because he did that, then I'm saying he has purchased my life and I'm going to give it to him. He bought it. I have been my own boss for my whole life, but now because he purchased me, I'm giving him my life and I will declare from this day forward, God, you are my boss now. I was my boss and now you are. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads. I'm going to pray for us. Then we're going to sing three songs to just declare our love for God. But before we do that, I'm going to ask the spotlight to go out. Before we do that, I want to ask you this question. If you'll turn the spotlight out for me. Here's my question. For just a moment, will you turn the overhead lights on? With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I just simply want to ask you this, with nobody looking around, just communicating with me. Here's my question. For the first time, are you, and this is in both theaters, we're both live right here, I'm talking to you. Stuttgart Harvest Church and your family and your guests. In the West Theater and in the East Theater, I'm asking you to respond. If for the first time you're saying yes, I believe that Jesus died for me and three days later he rose again. If for the very first time you are saying he has purchased my life and I know I need him. I have been making my own decisions and now I'm going to allow him to be my boss. I'm not going to be my boss anymore. He's going to be my boss. If that's you, if you're saying that for the first time with nobody looking around, I'm, 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 I'm looking. I've got one person looking in each theater. Would you just simply raise your hand and say, that's me. I'm not going to single you out. I'm not going to point you out. I'm not going to call your name. I'm not going to ask you to stand up. Thank you for raising your hands. Here's what that means. It means when you give yourself to God, He will never give you up. You are still going to make some mistakes. I do too. 
I'm your pastor, and I still blow it. But Jesus has promised me he will never leave me. He's made you the same promise. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He's going to hold you firmly in his hand. Do not fear. He's not going to let you go. Many of our church family are ready to be baptized. They're saying, you know what? I'm ready. It's my next step. I'm ready to do it, to have a fresh start, to let you know about it. Maybe that's you. Maybe it's time. But here's what I'm asking. If you raise your hand today, would you please, before you turn in your connection card, would you please mark your connection card under the letters A, B, C, D, E. There's a place for you to mark that just simply says, I I'm... I'm Becoming a Christ follower today. I'm making Jesus my boss. Would you mark that? Let me know. Make sure I have a contact phone number for you. I'm not going to hound you. I'm just going to shoot you a text or give you some encouragement. That's all. Now I want to pray for you. Let's pray. God, I am so thankful that your word tells us that as iron sharpens iron, so one friend sharpens another. As we get ready to sing these three songs, Lord, we have new family members who just now today are saying officially, I am going to follow you. You are going to be my boss. And these words have all new meanings to us when we give you our lives and trust you. Many of us have been our own boss for many, many years. But we're ready to say today, you can have my life. What you say will go. Thank you. Even when I blow it and mess up, that you will not leave me or desert me or send me to everlasting separation from you. You won't let me go. That's what your word says. Thank you. We trust you with our lives. We trust you with our family. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.